Radio Krikon. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Get Your Creek On, a podcast about Jonathan Creek. Thanks for joining me today for the penultimate episode of series 3, Miracle in Crooked Lane, in which a former glamour model is somehow seen wandering down a country lane, despite the fact that her face and entire body were burned to cinders several hours earlier in an exploding lawnmower kerfuffle. Presumably you've watched the episode before tuning into this edition of the pod. If not, then it really is quite a queer state of affairs. If you haven't watched any Jonathan Creek before, then please listen to the following statement. Take it on board and reflect upon your mistake. No Creek, you freak, baby. Miracle in Crooked Lane aired on December the 28th, 1999. Now, I've never even seen a photo of, let alone met, the friendly Australian man, but I think you'll agree that, going by his voice alone, it's almost certain that he is an absolute hunk. So come on, big boy, let's get us started. Episode Synopsis In a bedroom, we see an elderly lady called Kathleen sleeping and quickly realise that she has only one slipper on the floor by her bed. A younger man wakes her up with breakfast in bed. She's evidently bedbound. He mentions that there's no wonder she's finding it hard to wake up in the mornings at the moment, given she's recently had a major coronary op and her leg bitten off by a crocodile. She's staying with him for a while to convalesce, and he certainly seems to be doing a good job of looking after her. A little later, this guy, a photographer called Vince, chats to the postie Christine in the garden at the local pub. They watch on as a glamorous lady exits the pub and joins a table of guests, who aren't at all pleased by this and get up to leave. Vince can't understand what's caused this, but Christine hands him a copy of the paper and a story within explains all. The glamorous lady, Jackie, is the subject of a series of kiss-and-tell stories in the media, and her reputation as something of a home-wrecking harlot goes before her. Jackie heads home, having taken umbrage at her treatment by the pub patrons. She rants to her elderly husband Rupert about how she shouldn't feel ashamed about having given so many people pleasure with the beautiful body she's been gifted, and he readily agrees. A brick then gets thrown through the window, and a Mary Whitehouse type shouts from outside that Jackie needs to repent to the Lord for her sins. Meanwhile, Maddie's reading the newspaper story about Jackie. She appears to be naked under her bedsheets, and what's more, Jonathan is there. The pair of them appear finally ready to get it on after all this time. Maddie's wittering away and munching on a curly whirly, and Jonathan tells her that this just means he cannot go through with it, even though they'd agreed to just jump on in and do the business. Jonathan then notices a letter to Maddie on the sideboard that thanks her for confirming that the pair of them will be attending the forthcoming Mystery Writers' Convention, where they will meet the Jonathan Creek fan club. Jonathan thinks this has to be a wind-up, but it appears Maddie's already roped him in. Back at Christine the Postie's house, it turns out her husband Jeff is one of the fan club members, and he has the haircut and clothes to boot. Christine finds the whole thing just plain weird, but Jeff goes on about how he thinks Jonathan's lateral brain and skills are just fabulous, and that he's making sure he has interesting questions to ask him at the convention. At Jackie and Rupert's house, she's received a poisonous and abusive anonymous letter in the mail. 
she decides to take her mind off things by cutting the grass and heads into the shed to get the mower out. As she does so, she's smoking a cigarette and, rather sillily, keeps it in her mouth as she puts petrol into the mower. This leads to an unfortunate scenario whereby the shed blows up into a massive fireball with Jackie in the middle of it. Christine, there delivering the mail at the crucial moment, watches on with the horrified Rupert. Jackie's rushed off to hospital in a coma and with massive burns all over her. At the convention, Jonathan and Maddie turn up and are ushered into a small tent with the Jonathan Creek fan club. A group of complete nerds ask Jonathan in-depth questions about previous cases of his for four hours, much to his awkward chagrin. They're about to start another session when Jeff rocks up, apologises for being late, and tells Jonathan that the most unexplainable thing has just happened near his house. Does Jonathan believe it's possible for someone who's in hospital with half their face burned off to leave their body and be seen walking down a lane towards a church completely unscathed? Jonathan decides to use this as an excuse to leave, and Jeff gives him and Maddie a lift on his motorbike and sidecar. At his house, Christine mistakes Jonathan for another member of the fan club and ridicules him for this reason before realising this is actually the real dealio. She explains what happened to Jackie in the explosion yesterday, but also mentions that when she went round to Vince's earlier this morning, she got chatting to old one-legged Kathleen, who claims to have seen Jackie the previous evening, several hours after the accident. A bit later, Vince explains how he used to work as a TV cameraman and met Kathleen when doing a documentary. They stayed in touch, and when he heard that she needed somewhere to recover after her operations, he offered to look after her at his house in the countryside. The previous evening he took her to sit outside in the garden at 6pm, the first time she'd been outside for weeks. Jackie walked by on her way to visit the church, and Kathleen had a short conversation with her. All this despite the fact the accident happened hours earlier, and Jackie was in hospital at the time in a coma. It's noted that she was wearing the same clothes that she had on at the time of the explosion, and the bottom few inches of her trousers were a bit damp. Vince talks about Rupert and Jackie's marriage and then mentions how he himself had issues in that department recently when his wife ran off with a man who makes balloon animals. At Jeff and Christine's, Jeff hypothesises that maybe the person under all the bandages at the hospital isn't actually Jackie. He's created a miniature model of Rupert's house, garden and shed and explains with a demonstration how he thinks Jackie might have snuck out of the garden shed without being seen, and that someone else who looks very much similar to her was in fact the person who got blown up. Jonathan queries why, and Jeff unsurprisingly has no answer, because he's a complete buffoon and a chump. Staying over there that night, Jonathan can't sleep, partly because he's been forced to share a bed with Jeff, as he tosses and turns, he looks out of the window to see moonlight shining in, which causes a thought to trigger in his mind. The next morning, Christine and Maddie chat in the kitchen about Jonathan. The postie seems quite taken by him. He then comes downstairs and announces that they ought to go and meet Rupert. When they arrive, Rupert shows Maddie his 30,000 plus collection of porno mags. He talks about how Jackie was the most perfect being he'd ever set eyes upon and acknowledges that she, of course, only married him for his money. Unfortunately, he then receives a phone call from the hospital, telling him that she has succumbed to the terrible injury she suffered. 
Outside, Jonathan inspects the remains of the shed and is joined by the ever-keen Jeff who is just desperate to assist in figuring out what's happened. Jonathan then performs a very simple disappearing trick that fools Jeff so easily that we're left without any doubt whatsoever that he's a moronic simpleton. Jonathan and Maddie then head off to inspect Vince's garden where Kathleen encounters Jackie. Jeff's taken a shortcut to catch up with them though and Jonathan is struck by a thought when he looks at the bottom of his trousers. Jonathan and Maddie have a sneaky look around and they find what looks like a bicycle tyre track round the side of the house. Jonathan announces that he's figured out there's been a murder. He's just not quite sure who the victim is yet. They head off to Scotland Yard and chat to DCI Horner, who asks them what the hell's going on. Jonathan tells him that he thinks a murder took place at a certain time on a certain date, and the DCI looks it up in the system. There was indeed a man killed at that time, and he passes a box to Maddie saying that the item within was wrapped around the victim's head. Maddie picks up the box, says that it feels like it's empty, and then looks inside. Jonathan, watching on, knows exactly what's inside. The disconsolate Rupert heads round to Vince's house with a bottle of wine, but some police cars soon turn up there as well, with Jonathan and Maddie in tow. Christine and Jeff imminently turn up as well. Jonathan explains to everyone what's happened. It turns out Kathleen was not brought to Vince's house through the goodness of his heart to recover, but in fact to help provide him an alibi for when he went to murder the balloon animal making man who stole his wife. Vince used sleeping pills and his professional expertise to set up stage lights outside the bedroom window to fool bedbound Kathleen that day was night and then night was day. On the day of the murder he took Kathleen out into the garden at what she thought was 6pm, when in fact it was 6am, i.e. 12 hours earlier than reality, i.e. before Jackie's accident in the shed. The bottom of Jackie's trousers were wet because she'd just walked through the meadow with dew on the grass because it was morning time. Later on, Vince got Kathleen back onto real time by filling her with a few more sedatives so that she slept right through the night. This meant that if the police came round following the murder he carried out, Kathleen would have been able to provide him with an unimpeachable alibi. Rupert realises that Jackie had in fact been to church the morning before the accident and appears to take some solace from the idea that she'd made her peace with God before she died. Vince is led away by police and everyone else also leaves, apart from the immobile Kathleen who, apparently, is just going to be left alone in a strange murderer's house to fend for herself. Christine confides in Maddie that she's going to dump Jeff because, having met the real thing in Jonathan, her husband now appears what he really is, a pale and pathetic imitation. Maddie notes that Jonathan's single and then starts to tell Christine what it is that turns him on. Maddie and Jonathan stay over at a hotel that evening and, whilst we don't actually see it happening, they finally get sleeping together out of the way, although they admit afterwards that it didn't turn out all that particularly well. Before heading home they receive a call from Christine, asking Jonathan to come round urgently. It turns out she's filled a bath with porridge and submerged herself in it, which she appears to think will appeal to Jonathan in a sexual sense. Before anything happens, not that it appeared likely to, Jeff unexpectedly returns home and is horrified by what he finds, so he kicks the shit out of the entirely innocent Jonathan. Huh, maybe Jeff's not such a feeble loser after all.
episode analysis. This was the 17th episode of Jonathan Creek and finally he and Maddie took the plunge and got it on with one another. In pretty much any other TV show, a will-they-won't-they teaser would have ended up with the pair of them subsequently being together, but David Rennick rightly took this the opposite way and even had them remarking on how underwhelming the whole experience was. It was entertaining how Jonathan went from weirdo to completely irresistible hunk in the mind of Christine, culminating in her somewhat odd and porridgey proposition in the bath, and it was really fun to see Maddie essentially making all that happen knowing fine well that Jonathan probably would not indulge. Unless I've missed something along the way, of course, I don't recall him ever expressing a penchant for women immersing themselves in baths of porridge, so perhaps it's a fantasy he privately disclosed to Maddie at some stage beforehand. The whole concept of a Jonathan Creek fan club consisting of strange misfits and oddballs was a great idea, and I wonder whether that was David Rennick's starting point for the episode. It really does take a sad bastard to be such a fan of someone else and spend loads of time researching him and compiling information on his cases and I bet none of those guys have ever seen a <laughs> naked woman or done anything exciting with their lives. <clears throat> there were, as usual, a couple of really excellent jokes and funny lines in the episode. Maddie reading the tabloid article about the MP with the dicky heart and the hearty... D um, yeah. Then the Mother Teresa-like Kathleen's story of the witch doctor taking her into a tent to rub his snake was absolutely sensational. Rupert talking through his porno collection was most definitely a highlight too. Snip, snap, swang, spanky, tip-top, flirt and skirt. I feel like I've said this a couple of times this third series already, but when we get down to the nuts and bolts of the main mystery, there are various elements of it that struggle to stand up, particularly when you put them all together. How Vince could have kept Kathleen in the dark, literally at times, and avoid her twigging the discrepancies with time when surely she had to go to the bathroom and other stuff like that, is really pushing things a bit. When Kathleen and Jackie encountered one another at half past seven in the morning, you'd have to imagine there's a good chance Jackie might have said good morning or Kathleen good evening. The whole thing would have then been blown to bits and it's certainly very convenient that neither of those things were said. How Jonathan jumped straight to the conclusion there had not only been a crime committed but it was definitely a murder is not really explained and how exactly he knew that the item in the police evidence box was a balloon animal is also something of a stretch. You have to speculate how possible it is to just rock up at Scotland Yard, say that you think someone might have been murdered but you don't know who or where, and then immediately get an audience with a detective chief constable who then is happy to dish out details of the ongoing investigation to you. Although maybe Jonathan's reputation has earned him that by this stage. Dinah Sheridan played Kathleen, Nicholas Bell played Vince, Hetty Baines was Jackie, Tom Goodman-Hill was Jeff Torrance and Emma Kennedy was Christine. Benjamin Whitrow played the tremendous Rupert. Overall, I really found it to be an enjoyable episode with very amusing moments and a couple of characters who go down among the most memorable in the Jonathan Creek history books. And I might even go as far as saying that it's the best episode of Series 3 so far. Far. Far rhymes with car, and a car is something you drive on a journey somewhere. 
And if you're taking a journey, that means you're travelling from one location to another. The celebration of Location Information Station. The house outside which Jackie Jordan was blown up, outside which Jonathan fooled Jeff the Doofus in the garden, and inside which Rupert housed his absolutely gargantuan porn collection, is Cobham Lodge on the Cobham Park estate near Cobham in Surrey. It's very close to the M25 motorway and, not all that long ago, had a large amount of external repairs and refurbishment carried out by a company called Hawk, a project that took 20 weeks to complete. A mere few hundred metres away from there is a pub where we saw Jackie attempting to sit and chat with the locals early on in the episode. It's called The Cricketers and overlooks Downside Common. At the time of this recording, if you head there on a Wednesday and order two steaks, you will receive a complimentary bottle of wine. As their website says, that's an offer to truly sink your teeth into. Finally this week, at the very end of the episode, we see Jonathan with his bruised and scratched face pacing towards the Linnets Hill train station after Jeff kicked the living crap out of him. That is in fact Barnes Railway Station in southwest London, which serves the southwestern railway line to and from Waterloo. The street Jonathan and Maddie walk down as they approach the station is called Station Road, and despite extensive research I can find no explanation as to why that might be the case. There's just no indication out there as to why the street's called that, and I can only assume it's named after a famous local person whose surname is Station. That's literally the only feasible explanation. Creek Connections At 10 minutes 47 seconds, among the crowd at the 17th Annual Mystery Writers' Convention, we see a blue balloon being carried by a small girl who's wearing a yellow jacket. Yellow Jackets is the name of an American jazz fusion band formed in the 70s, whose back catalogue includes two songs on the soundtrack to 1986's Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. Among the stars of that film was George Takei, whose education and theatre studies included time at the Shakespeare Institute in Stratford-upon-Avon. Stratford-upon-Avon's MP between 1950 and 1963 was John Profumo, whose political career ended in disgrace following his affair with a 19-year-old girl. 19 years old was apparently the average age of US soldiers involved in the Vietnam War, as immortalised in the song 19 by Paul Hardcastle. Sexton Hardcastle is the former stage name of Canadian wrestler Adam Copeland, WWE's 14th Triple Crown Champion, 7th Grand Slam Champion, and winner of Royal Rumble 10, which took place on January the 31st, 2010. Also on that day was the 52nd Annual Grammy Awards in Los Angeles, at which the Best Metal Performance Award was given to British metal legends Judas Priest for their live tour show, Dissident Aggressor. Judas Priest's lead singer Rob Halford underwent umbilical hernia surgery in 2014, a procedure performed under anaesthesia, which is thought to have first been used in 1846 in Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston by surgeon John Warren, 
and dentist William T.G. Morton. Morton married his wife in the town of Farmington, Connecticut, famous former residents of where include American football player T. Bucky Jones, who was part of the New England Patriots team that won the Super Bowl in 2001. His teammates that day included quarterback Tom Brady, who in 2021 was said to be considering the purchase of a family home in the Florida coastal town of Clearwater. Clearwater is home to the headquarters of bar chain Hooters. Hot Jugs and Hooters is the name of the one-issue-only American Bible Belt porno mag that was the jewel in Rupert's bongo book collection in Miracle in Crooked Lane. <sighs> Finding these incredible coincidences like this every week takes its toll. How are you meant to keep a grip on reality with realisations like this constantly coming to the fore? Another Creek Connection, next time. Eat. Sleep. Creek. Repeat. Miracle in Crooked Lane was a festive episode beamed into UK homes on December the 28th, 1999, a day on which a great deal of other interesting stuff was occurring. Actress Maggie Smith turned 65, swimmer Adam Peaty, who wasn't yet a swimmer, turned 5, and singer John Legend was celebrating his 21st. Clayton Moore, the actor who played the Lone Ranger, passed away at the age of 85, and it was the 496th anniversary of the death of Italian ruler Piero the Unfortunate, who, as I'm sure you learned at primary school, drowned in the Garigliano River while attempting to flee the aftermath of the Battle of Garigliano. It was King Taksin Memorial Day in Thailand, Proclamation Day in South Australia, and Republic Day in South Sudan. Now, all that may be very interesting, but something even more so is what I happened to come across while perusing Amazon for a book on a beloved hobby of mine, growing plants through the medium of hydroponics, which in layman's terms means cultivating stuff in water rather than soil. If you want to learn about the fundamentals of this discipline, then there are a surprising number of tomes out there which offer such advice, including Fundamentals of Hydroponics, all about hydroponic gardening, by Mac Bransetter. Fundamentals of Hydroponics, Growing Plants Indoors with Hydroponics and Common Problems, by Miles Feliciano. And of course, the classic by Enrique Eubanks, The Fundamentals of Hydroponics, Incorporate Hydroponics into Your Nursery. However, I eschewed all of these and for very good reason found myself instead hanging on each and every word within 2001's The Fundamentals of Hydroponics, the what and why of hydroponic gardening for beginners and experts. Why that one above all the others, you didn't ask? Well, the author is none other than a Mr. Jeff Torrance, the same name as the simpleton character in Miracle in Crooked Lane. Mr. Torrance's self-published magnum opus has some phenomenal tips to share on hydroponics, which is an ever-growing technique, if you'll pardon the pun, and it only seems right to disseminate some of this information through the medium of a robot. I'm not sure whether English is even Jeff Torrance's first language, as he really isn't very good at writing. Some of the passages don't even make sense or just stop mid-sentence, but 
let's not jump to conclusions. Please enjoy. I strongly suggest that before you start your garden, read this book and know as much about the hydroponic. The word hydroponic originates in Latin and means working water. It is literally the art of soilless cultivation of plants. Most people do not know that there are numerous approaches and variations of hydroponic gardening. You can easily grow fruits, herbs and plants by using different hydroponic techniques. I've personally harvested a lettuce head within 30 days of germination the fastest lettuce I've ever grown is 60 days in soil. It is possible to automate virtually every aspect of garden management, and should you wish, track and regulate it from the other side of the world on your laptop or smartphone. Daredreaming. Question, what kinds of deep water culture do I need to start first? Answer, if you're a novice, you start small. Start, start small. small. You can grow big later, after having ample experience. No special equipment or a special water pump is needed while you are. You want a pump, which is better than any other kind of hydroponic device. That is the largest and greatest difference. Question, does a deep water culture grower have any tricks available? Answer, hey, DWC growers can control the amount of moisture within the root zone with these. The ancient thinkers asked whether the plants were growing. They claimed the plants received nourishment from the soil, naming it a particular juice. There are 18 rising media substrates, rock wool and stone wool, vermiculite, perlite, coconut fiber, peat composted wood, pea gravel, metal scraps, sand, extended clay, sawdust, pumic, scoria, polyurethane rising slabs, rice hulls, sphagnum moss, vermicast, and compost. I also seen farmers whose performance is linked to their inherent ability, the trend of the green thumb. You would have to love to torment yourself to calibrate each of these buckets individually. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Get Your Creek On. If you're enjoying the show, and if you aren't, then questions really need to be asked as to why you're still tuning in 16 episodes down the line, please consider leaving a review on your preferred podcast provider. It'll really help spread the word and enlighten more people as to the pod's existence. You can get in touch by email, getyourcreekon at gmail.com, or Twitter at creekget. The website is getyourcreekon.co.uk. The next episode of the pod will be the final one of the third series, The Three Gamblers. How did a bloke who was definitely killed by several bullets to the brain manage to subsequently crawl up a set of stairs? It's also the final ever appearance by Caroline Quentin as Maddie McGillan, and is therefore not one that you want to miss. That's it for today. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you choose to turn your ears this way next time. I'm Toby. Bye for now.
Thanks for listening to Get Your Creek On.